difference between what it means to be good when you're trying to be epic. Uh, no, you don't gotta believe in me. Nothing can stop me. I already said it. I'm taking everything they stole from us. Yeah. You got your problems, I'm a whole nother. I'm giving people something to believe in. I'ma show them freedom like a bone cutter. We gon' fight back. Yeah. We breaking chains over here. Yeah. And you can stay over there. Stay. Cause this is revolution mixed with execution. We insane over here. Yeah. We taking over, making... Welcome back, everyone, to its last call. Last call with the alcohol only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And, well, joining me once again on the show, or joining us on the show here, this man had a, well, fantastic 2020, if you can say that. Some of us did, but he did here. He is uh, now 4-0 and in Bellator, including two wins, uh, including a, uh, his latest win, November 12th, against Andrew Salas. I give you once again one of the rising prospects in the featherweight division, only 20 years old, and well, he's a jujitsu master. I give you it's the uh, Skywalker himself. I give you Lucas Brennan. Uh, Lucas, so let me let's start off here with this here. Usually, guys, you're you know your age, we're coming in there, we're learning wrestling, we're learning jujitsu, we're learning striking, they're still learning. You're a guy who, you know, black belt jujitsu. A lot of people say you're one of the best nogi. Uh, combatants here what is that like when you're you know rolling around with guys 10 years 20 years older and yet they have no clue what what, what you're going to do and you just look and go oh this is going to be fun <laughs> it's uh it's quite an experience uh it's something i've i've gotten used to as i've gotten older uh especially because like a lot a lot of my training partners a lot of my friends are all like much older guys guys with kids you know like mid-30s 40s like all, everyone i train with is you know, well, uh, into their adult years. And I'm kind of, you know, just getting in there. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. I like it obviously, since I guess I'm on the good side of it so far, but, uh, it's, it doesn't go unappreciated for sure. Take me to your last fight. It was you versus Andrew Salas. Yes. Completely dominated, you know, it was a good fight here. How tough was that vote when you have a guy who, he knew enough not to get caught in something. And when I say that, it's like you could, you know, you were taking him down. You were able to, you know, get him in positions, but he knew enough to go, okay, yep, I'm not going to stick my hand out there or put my leg out there because if I do, I'm getting arm barred or leg locked. And how, how tough is that when he won't give you anything? Um, you know, it is frustrating uh, from like a jiu-jitsu standpoint, you know, from trying to choke him, from trying to uh, submit him. I went, I went for two different submissions right off the bat. Uh, like as soon as we got to the ground, I try, I went to set up a Darce and then I ended up having a reverse triangle for a little bit. And on both of them, as soon as I grabbed them, I kind of realized that it was going to be pretty tough to finish. Um, I didn't end up really looking for another one until later. Oh, oh, like I think the very end of the third round, I was like, just kind of like looking at something but it wasn't uh it wasn't there he was he was very tough and he was very durable like he was he was obviously very hard to be able to get any submissions on or be able to gain that sort of position on he was knowledgeable of that sort of thing um i don't i'm unfamiliar with whatever his jiu-jitsu uh wrestling level is where he is in that department uh but he was very strong uh you can kind of just tell from how he was built you know it was a very different build from anyone i fought before one of the things I've been impressed with so far with you has been the ability to do more than jujitsu. And when I say that, you know, you, you, your striking is good. You know, you're, you can take people down. It's not like you're just relying on that. 
how much have you worked on that? How much did you have to work on just, okay, yeah, I have good jujitsu, but I need to become a mixed martial arts fighter, not just a one, you know, a one trick pony. Um, yeah, um, I didn't want to be, yeah, extremely one dimensional or, um, yeah, just relying on jujitsu or anything like that. And while, while jujitsu is kind of like my base and it, it's what I prefer to have the fight go in, right. Some form of grappling, something that I am, uh, I know that I'll be stronger in. Um, I also understand that, you know, you have to learn other aspects of the sport and whatever. So I've done jujitsu for a long time. I've wrestled for a long time. Um, I had only done like as a kid, as a teenager, like on and off striking. It wasn't until I actually got out of high school, um, right. Like just a little bit before my, uh, my pro debut, I guess when I was a freshman in college that I was able to like actually dedicate time to striking and was able to put away the time and like deal, put, put school aside at the time, uh, and work on striking. And now I work on it all the time, uh, almost every day, uh, unboxing, kickboxing, doing Muay Thai and stuff like that. And just trying to even out that level. You know, I, I know my jiu-jitsu's on a better level than my striking is and same, my wrestling is kind of somewhere in the middle and I'm just kind of aiming to even it all out. How long did it take you to get used to MMA jiu-jitsu rather than, you know, traditional BJJ? Because when I, you, I talk to people here and usually it's, oh yeah, it's great when you're doing the gi and all that because it's a weapon. You can all, you can trap a guy's arm with it or you can grab him with it and throw him. You can, you know, you're able to use everything on you here. Well, well, when you do it in MMA, it's all of a sudden you trekking an armbar or leg locker all of a sudden after two rounds. It's like, oh crap, he's as, he's as greased as the pig from all the sweat. And it's like trying to grab onto something that's slippery. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, our coaches, my dad and the guys that run the jiu-jitsu have always taught um, some form of jiu-jitsu that relates to MMA very well. And it was never a whole lot of like, upside down barambolo whatever whatever like all the fancy you know um sport jiu-jitsu techniques and while in jiu-jitsu i do enjoy those sorts of things i do utilize that sort of uh uh style of jiu-jitsu i understand what is applicable to mma and what isn't and i know that if i were to run out and pull guard right i'm not ryan hall my leg locks are not on that astronomical level so i know if i just run out and pull guard you know that may not go well uh and so i i I take the parts of jiu-jitsu that I find are effective and implement them into my style for MMA. Um, and I've, I've never put a gi on actually never trained in the gi, never, never one. Um, my dad, I know hasn't worn one since like, I don't know. It's been like supposedly 18, 19 years, something like that. It's been a long time. I think since he's ever worn one, um, or I guess, I guess 20, actually 20 years. Um, and I've never worn one, so I never got into the habit of reaching for grips and reaching for the lapel and all these other things. Let's talk about your father here, because as you said, he is all, Chris Brennan fought in the UFC, fought in Strike Force, fought all over the place. He's your coach. He's also your father. So how tough is that when, like most fathers of fighters talk to you, like, oh yeah, man, it's great. And like, you still have no idea what we're doing, but yeah, like a close idea. Your father does. So it's, you know, on one hand, he can help you out. He can coach you. On the other hand, you, you can't go, well, dad, you don't know what, what I'm talking about. Oh, yes, I do. I know exactly what you're talking about because I lived it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely helpful. Um, 
you know, that I, it's not just like a dad, you know, it's not just like your family being supportive, you know, it's someone that, uh, already went through all those weight cuts and all those fight camps and all the fight camps that didn't lead to a fight or times maybe missed weight or something like that. Um, you know, it's all, he's very well-versed in that, uh, department and obviously has a ton of experience. He fought, you know, I think he's got 33, uh, MMA fights, plus a bunch of jiu-jitsu matches, some at like ADCC and stuff like that. And so, yeah, the experience levels through the roof and it's, um, we have our, our moments just because he's my dad. And so he tries to find that balance between being dad and coach. Uh, but he does his best and, you know, it, it's awesome. If you just tuned in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we got, it's Lucas Brennan here on the show. We're talking all things, of course, uh, Andrew Salas. We're talking jujitsu. We're talking the family business. Let's talk about this year. It must have been tough, you know, in the beginning with all this going on with COVID because, and even though Texas is a lot better than Massachusetts, New York, California, there were still restrictions. I'm guessing there were still things that you, you couldn't yes. do yet, you know, try to do here. How tough is it, you know, abiding by all these laws? Like, oh, you got to be six feet apart, social distancing, wearing masks. You're doing all this in the gym, even when you're training with other people, it's like, this isn't basketball. This isn't baseball or soccer. I can't just stand six feet apart from somebody and still do my thing. I could be, you know, you know, almost touching them hand to hand, you know, body to body. Yeah. How tough is it having to bite by all this and smelling literally like, you know, Clorox bleach and everything every 10, 15 minutes because I got to wash everything down? <laughs> it's, um, you know, it did suck when the first like real quarantine set in. And all the gyms had to close. All the all the non-essential uh, sorts of places had to close. Um, and you know we were able to still get some training in. We have mats at home, and since it's kind of our gym, we were able to get in there a little bit and still work out and just not run uh, like a full class or a full practice or anything like that with all the members. But um, it was frustrating for a little bit. Um, it ended up being all right. Like there's in Texas, there's you know you have to wear masks, you have to keep a distance, but there's no at the moment, there's no like crazy restrictions. Um, they're talking about bringing some back and it hasn't happened. So I'm not sure what's, uh, what the deal with that is. Um, and yeah, you know, we keep the gym clean. It gets clean like two, three times a day, uh, just to, you know, be safe from anything else, but especially, you know, now because of COVID and, um, yeah, it was, it was annoying at the time, but we, we made do with it and it turned out all right. Last few questions for it to let you go. All the, as you said, all this is going on here with you, and you've experienced the bubble, you've experienced uh, social distancing and all this here. How much of this has basically made you mentally tougher that you've had to, you know, as you're 20 years old, and you've already had to adapt to a lot. Forget about just the fighting, fighting growing up here. You've had to adapt to changing up your lifestyle, changing up your training, changing up, you know, go, you know even fight week where, you know, you're in your hotel room, you have to be more socially distant year quarantined in your room how much of this year for you is about okay i can roll the punches doesn't matter what happens i can roll the punches and just keep on moving forward yeah i mean the the first bellator we did this year uh was you know when they had started implementing all the restrictions and whatnot the social distancing and you get tested a lot tested they'll send you a COVID test and they'll get tested before you go. You'll get tested as soon as you land at the airport. You'll, you won't even go to the hotel first. You'll go to a hospital, get tested. You go to the hotel, 
you quarantine alone for like a day and a half or something like that you're not allowed to leave your room you're not allowed to leave for anything uh they're like if you need something you can call us and we'll bring it to you but you're not allowed to leave your room until your test comes back um and then you'll get tested and uh last time it was on weigh-in day but they move it around and they're they're very on top and you know there's there's cracks you know i know some people have still like gotten through the first couple tests and then like somehow ran into someone and tested positive right or maybe the first tests were like off whatever not accurate uh whatever the deal is with that and it's you know it's a weird time especially to be in like a combat sport you know this isn't something where I, yeah i can just avoid you you know i can just avoid interaction you know i have to be able to train with people to warm up i have to be able to train with people to make weight right to be able to move around use the saunas um all sorts of stuff like that uh the quarantine definitely makes weight, cutting weight hard um you know i have to we end up working out in the room. We just push the beds apart and just hope for the best and just try and get a sweat going. Uh, and it's, it is frustrating, but you know, you, you got to make do with what it is. And I got to ask before we let you go, Skywalker, I get it. Lucas Skywalker, Brennan, and who gave you it? And how many people were giving you crap until all of a sudden you got, they got arm barred or leg locked or, you know, triangle <laughs> choked. It's like, yeah, I don't think we should give a kid any crap about Skywalker anymore. It, uh, it, it, it's been around since I was a kid, like since I was little, uh, cause Lucas is obviously, you can just like nickname it Luke and just run that. And there's a lot of guys that still just kind of call me Luke instead. And it's just at some point when I was really young up and people kept calling me that. And then eventually I had my first amateur fight and I hadn't even thought about it. And the guy's like, well, you know, first name, yes, last name, Brennan, whatever. And he's like, what's your, what's your nickname? Where do you want it in the thing? I was like, oh, shit. I was like, I haven't even thought about that. Um, and then I just kind of like put that in there. I was like, oh, that'll work and, and whatever. And it's kind of stuck. Um, I only get a little bit of, of crap for it, but, you know, it, it is what it is. I like it. Hey, it's catchy. You know what? And as you said, marketing is everything. That's a whole different story of every day. Uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, I give you one of the most talented fight, you know, featherweights in the world, jujitsu-wise, and a man who might be the future of Bellator's featherweight division. I give you Lucas Brennan. Now, Lucas, before I let you go, where can the fans check you out of the Twitter page, Instagram, the website? Uh, how can fans reach out to you? On uh, on Instagram and Twitter, uh, my at my handle is just Lucas Brennan MMA. Uh, no like underscores or anything like that, just straight across the board. Um, and then Facebook's obviously just Lucas Brennan. I don't keep a athlete page on there. I'm just me. And uh, I got a Snapchat Skywalker six, three, zero. And so that's kind of all my social media for that. Lucas Brennan, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we're proud to have him on the show. Big things going to happen to this young man here. 2021. I guarantee it. We come back for, we got a whole lot more only on it is, Last call. Last call with the alcohol only on. It is the Blue Wire Hustle Network.
Welcome back, everyone, to its last call. Last call with the alcohol only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And, well, we got a lot going on here. We've got – it is Lucas Brennan. He's going to be joining us on the show later on here or down our – but uh, first off, join me on the line. This man here, well, he is one of the hottest free agents in the MMA market. And after doing the PFL thing of attorney for several years, he is ready to, well, jump on board. So UFC, Bellator, YFC – Open up the checkbook. He's ready to start cashing checks. I can be Andre Harrison. Now, Andre. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. Thanks for having me on. Pick where you want to go. Uh, let me ask a big question. What do you want? It's it's a, it's a sounds easy, but it's a tricky question. What do you want with your next company? Um, I, I just want to be able to be active. You know, I don't, I'm not one of those people that want to take one fight, take five, six months off and then come back again. Like, you know, I, as long as I'm healthy, I would like to be fighting every, you know, three to four months. So um, ideally, when you say, what do you want? Uh, I want to be in the UFC. Uh, I think, I think that would be a good place for me to get out there and, you know, really put a lot of things on display, man. I, I think there's guys in the top 10, top 15 right now that I can beat. Um, I, I know it for a fact. There's guys at top 10, top 15 right now that I can beat in the UFC. So, you know, that, uh, or, um, also I'd like to go in one FC, I think to be able to travel and face all the best, uh, fighters in the world. Plus that's a, you know, it's a dope promotion, man. To, uh, Mighty Mouse is over there now. A couple other guys made their way over there. So to go out there and fight too, I think that would be awesome. So either one of those two, man, I'd, I'd be on board for all right, so I got to ask. You said two of the three. Uh, Bellator, I guess, is not on the list. Uh, what, yeah, that, that's that? the next one. If if I had to pick three, like Bellator would be the third one. All right. Yeah. So let's ask a question. How tough is it doing these negotiations when you're, you're trying to play coy? Yeah, I know that you and your management right now are negotiating with team with kind with uh, companies, and they, and they know here. How tough is it trying to get what you want when? still a buyer's market with everything going on with a lot of promotions unable to sign you because they're either not work they're not you know in you know doing fights or they're not doing you know they're not on tv how tough is it trying to get what you want when all three companies are going well these are our terms and if you don't like them well pound sand yeah well that you know that part of it sucks you know like uh right now um again i have 24 four fights I have uh, 21 wins, uh, two losses, one of which, you know, I beat the person. Uh, me and him are one and one. And the other person I, you know, pretty much destroyed in the first round. And uh, the second round I came out, kind of took my foot off the gas a little bit to reserve uh, for later on in the tournament. It ended up, you know, being a big mistake. Um, and, um, you know, with that you live and you learn, but um, to, to get back to the actual question, it's tough because my record is good enough where I can't just go in there and fight any old body. But being that I'm coming off of a loss, a lot of companies, you know, it's very difficult for them to sign somebody that's coming off of a loss. So it's like I'm in a rough, rough spot right now. And then again, with the pandemic, a lot of promotions aren't doing shows. So to even just go out there and get a fight, you know, with anybody on any promotion, again, it's another difficult job. So you know, right now I'm like uh, in, in, a, in a rough spot, but I'm still training every single day. I'm still working out every day. I, I, 
motivation hasn't left me yet. Um, I'm not sitting there tucking my tail and just like, you know, woe is me. I'm grinding, man. So whenever I should get that deal, because I do believe that it is coming, whenever it comes, I'll be, you know, more than ready to get out there and do what I need to do. How much does it also hurt that, and as good as you are, you're in a, you're in a division that's just, you know, a slew of talent. I mean, you look at Bellator, they got mm-hmm. Pitbull, Daniel Strauss, A.J. McKee, Darian Caldwell, Manuel Sanchez, Henry Corrales, Daniel Weichel, Aaron Pico, John Desher, Adam Boritz. That alone mm-hmm. is right there in the top ten. They're looking at one, so that's a pretty good list. Mm-hmm. You've got UFC, and you've got Brian Ortega, you've got Calvin Qatar, you've got uh, Max Holloway, you have uh, and you know, Alexander Volkanovsky here. I mean, they, you know, once again, they go 10, 15 deep in terms of who could win a title. And that's not counting mm-hmm. prospects for either. I mean, how tough is it when you're a very good fighter, but somebody said it's 145. There's a ton of damn 145 or so, you know, it's you're competing with tons and tons of people there for very few spots. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, what I would say to those people is put me in there with them. If if I don't belong, it would show very, very quickly. But I am fully confident there's guys that I've, you know, both trained with, spar with, that are now or were at some point was in the top 10. And, you know, I did exception. I did very well. I, I did more than just hold my own, you know. So I'm not nervous or uh, I'm not doubting myself or anything. Like, I know I belong in that top 10. You know, so any doubters out there, if anybody has any eyebrows being raised, just put me in there with them. We're going to go back to this in a bit. First, take us back to the PFL tournaments because uh, I've had some people who say they love it. Other people say they hate it. Uh, You're in between there. I mean, you won the title in the regular, you know, PFL. Mm -hmm. As you said, you lost to Lance Palmer in the tournament. And, And I know that you and I talked off, you know, off the year about how, you didn't like the format, how that was set up. For those who don't know, what is the, the toughest thing about the tournament? Is it just the fights back-to-back, or is the way that it's set up? How much do you look at that second fight with Palmer go, I really wish I had, you know, like a camp there, not, you know, like, oh, a couple hours to prepare? Um, well, with that, I, I mean, the first time me and him fought, you guys saw what would happen if it was, you know, regular, whereas, you know, uh, you get a date and you get, you know, two and a half, three months to prepare. You got to see what would happen. I went out there, I dropped him three times and, you know, just pretty much was dominant at no point in time during that fight was I in any kind of danger. You understand? And to look at the second fight, you know, and keep in mind that the first fight of the night, I, I was the second fight of that night. Uh, no, Lance was. I'm sorry. Lance was the first, the second fighter that night. And so he had about two and a half hours of um, rest between bouts, whereas I had maybe 25 to 30 minutes between bouts. So by the time I got out there, I saw the doctor, went to the locker room, and then it was time to start warming up again. You know, like that that was my experience with it. And with that, again, the person that I fought in the quarterfinals, I mean, kudos to him, uh, Alexander Pacera. Uh, it was my second time fighting him as well, so he had a little vendetta uh, to try and get that win back. And so we went out there and we had a real explosive fight, you know. And in that, you know, it, it we threw a lot of heat at each other, and um, you know, 
the fight was pretty much mostly on the feet. We didn't go to the ground, so there's a lot of fists clashing, a lot of knees, a lot of shins. And to go out there in the second fight now with Lance, it wasn't like he went out there and, you know, beat me up where he was just punching me, kicking me, picking me up, dumping me down. You know, he pretty much, I think in the second round, he was on my back for like three and a half minutes. And we're standing up and just, I'm just leaning against the cage. Like, is this going to get broken? Is he going to actually try and finish me? Because he's, I think there's one picture with him just sitting there looking at the clock, just trying to buy out time. And again, you got to respect, you got to respect, um, his game plan because if if he does it if he takes that fight any other kind of way you know he loses and so he has to do what he has to do in order to advance and move forward whether it was pretty or not you know it's one thing but and no other like and no other if we fight 10 times that's the one time that he wins is if he just you know is able to sneak in a takedown and just you know come on my back and and hope that the ref doesn't break it Taking back to the last fight, Alex Gilpin, uh, what happened? When you look back now and go, okay, you break everything down, you know it's no longer emotional, it's more clinical. What went right? What went wrong? Uh, when do you feel that this, that this whole thing got out of hand? That all of a sudden it went from, okay, I'm fine, to, ah, crap, he caught me in something. So one of the things that you realize in a tournament that I learned from the year before is, you know, there's a certain um, point during that quarterfinal bout where your foot is either on the gas or off the gas, right? Um, if you're all the way on, you run the risk of maybe hurting your hand or your shin, or you know, really uh, wearing down your body to where you you know you just at a dump going into the second fight. And if you take your foot off the gas, then you run the risk of getting caught and possibly losing. And so the first round, you know. I went out there and, you know, just uh, I don't think he was able to touch me really too much. I think it was like maybe 50 something strikes to like, you know, 10 maybe. And even most of those were either blocked or checked or, you know, I don't remember him touching me with anything. And so the second round I go in and I'm landing some stuff and I was like, you know, I don't want to go in there and possibly throw something and jack my, my hand up or my shins up or anything. So I'm going to just take him down, get on top of him, hold good position and land some good strikes. That way I can go into this next fight relatively fresh. And so I go in, I'm forcing, I, I'm in on the shot and rather than back out where I was at and continue to beat him up on the feet, I try to force the takedown and on the way down, you know, again, kudos to Alex. Like he has, a good slew of chokes from the front headlock position. And so me forcing a uh, takedown in that position gave him the opportunity to get one of those chokes on. And um, we did work on everything and all that other stuff. But again, he, he is good at it and he was able to get that on. But if we fight where I'm not considering going back out there later on, or if we fight and I decide to end it early on, like he's, Again, he that nothing of that sort happens. He he gets beat up. If you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we got Andre Harrison on the show. We're talking all things, of course, uh, PFL term. We're talking free agency. We're talking value. I want to talk about touching here. And, and as I said, we don't talk politics here, but I do want to get your opinion on this. You've okay. gotten over this over COVID. I know we talked about how you did a lot of deep diving. You got more political. You got involved in it. How tough is that, Bo, expressing that in MMA? Because it's not like LeBron James. He can say whatever he wants. He can piss people off. 
hey, he's he is a guaranteed five year, two hundred million dollar contract. He doesn't have to worry about that. If somebody goes, oh, we don't want, we're going to cancel you. Well, you still got to pay me money. Same mm-hmm. thing in the NFL. Same thing even in Major League Baseball, hockey. It's guaranteed money. Fighters don't have that, and especially in a sport where it's driven on fans. If fans want you, they'll buy your merch. They'll you know buy you know advertise on you. They want to see you fight. They'll show up. How tough is it sometimes expressing yourself when it's like, okay, do I talk politics or do I say nothing? Because I, at the end of the day, I need to put you know food on the table. I need fights. I don't want to piss off the wrong people. Uh, when it comes to like politics, religion, um, you know, things of that nature, I, I've, unless I know you for the most part, I, I don't really even have that conversation with you. Not so, not so much because, um, I'm worried about it getting out and offending other people, but like sometimes I listen to certain things that people say and I'm just like, how could you even, you know, think what you're saying is remotely accurate? And it, it would kind of like turn me off from a person. So I'd rather just, you know, keep my uh, view on those kind of touchy topics. I'd rather just keep it between me and mine and certain people that I know I can have open and honest conversations with. Because most people aren't honest when it comes to those kind of things. Like they believe what they want to believe. And then that's that. They refuse to open up their eyes and see, you know, more of what's the truth. How do you find it ironic sometimes that, and how much of this is also, as we talk about cancer culture, do you find it even depressing at times when you have conversations? When I say that you see now fighters who fans love, I mean, as we said, Jorge Masvidal, people loved him like, you know, crazy. And all of a sudden he believes in something and it's like, half the people now hate him, half the people love him. Does it bother you that's come to this, that now... And as, as I said, fighters, it's a whole different breed. It's not like other sports where if contracts are guaranteed, you are reliant on something here that is almost day-to-day, paycheck-to-paycheck. Does it bother you that you have to be like this, that you can't say this because there are people who, you know, you can, as I said, you might be liberal. I'm a, I'm a conservative. It doesn't matter here. We are friends. But those are people who go, oh, this is a blood feud. I won't respect you. I will cancel our friendship. I don't like you because you believe in this. And you're going – but I'm still the same person you like, you know, 10 minutes ago. Yeah, I, that, I, I don't know where or why it's happened, but it, it, it's so sad that you can't express your viewpoint because if I feel any different from you or you feel any different from me, then it's, you know, you don't respect my feelings on the fact and, you know, you're, I don't know if I can cuss or whatever, but you're asking. You can say whatever you want for show. I don't get you, you have free reign here. Uh, yeah, you know, like if I don't feel the way you feel, I'm an asshole or I'm, you know, uh, not sensitive enough for you. Like, not everybody's going to be the same. Not everybody's going to feel the same. You know, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, I'm 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, I don't care how much I want or have aspirations to be, you know, uh, a center in NBA. I'm just never going to be that because I don't fit the requirements for it, you know? that's just what it is in some cases like not everybody can do or be anything you know and and somewhere along the lines it's like if I don't adjust my viewpoints to make you feel comfortable I'm an asshole it's like that's bullshit it's bullshit that's not the real world I ask this with every fighter so I gotta ask this with you here why do you do this and when I say do this I mean fight you've been doing this now for 
You'll be coming up on almost a decade of doing this. You fought in Ring of Combat. You competed in Titan FC. You did World Series of Fighting. Uh, it's not like you're making big money here. It's not like, you know, you're ranking in millions of dollars. You put your body through hell. You are sometimes, you know, cutting a lot of weight, going into the gym, getting dumped on your head, you know, getting your body stretched, going in there to fight. Someone wants to take your head off. You got to do this whole thing here. You sacrifice your schedule, your family, your friends. And yet you, when we talk fighting, you still love this. Why? What is it about this sport or about MMA that you go, I need it. It's in my DNA. I can't get rid of us. I can't retire. I love this too damn much. Uh, uh, do you guys watch, you watch like a lot of like comedy specials and stuff? Yes. All right. So I remember watching a Dave Chappelle special and he, he brought up something similar. Um, his, his dad told him that, um, you know, if he's going to do comedy, um, you know, you got to understand that a lot of people aren't going to make it. And he has to come to terms with not making it. Like, it, it's a possibility you might not make it. And he was like, well, that depends what making it is. And he was like, what do you mean? He was like, well, you're a teacher. So if I can make in comedy what you make as a teacher, then to me, I'm successful. Right? And... And he was like, well, if you keep that idea, you know, you're, you, you're pretty much well off. So for me, as long as I'm, and when you say, you, you know, you're not making boatloads of money, well, it depends what you did. Like, am I going to be a, a multi-billionaire? Probably not. But am I going to, you know, be able to have a house and my cars and feed my, my, my daughter, my wife and everything like that and be you know, be comfortable and can take a couple vacations. Definitely. Definitely. I can definitely do that. So for me, if I can still do whatever I need to do and I'm allowed to work out every day, be fit, I can, the, the people at the gym are legitimately, you know, my family. Like if I can see these people every day and enjoy myself and surround myself with good, positive people, then what else would I be doing? What else should I be doing? This is what I love to do. And I'm making money doing it. Enough money where we're all comfortable. Uh, we're all happy. You know, if it'd be one thing if, you know, my daughter was uh, wearing um, shoes with her toes and her heel busting out the side of them. And then you got to rethink some things, you know. But, you know, she's she has every she has every and anything she needs. Um, there's always food and everything in my fridge. My bills are always paid. So we're fine. Um and uh, we get to do stuff, you know, we in Jamaica for close to two weeks, you know, when everything was open back up again, like we enjoy ourselves. Um, and again, this is what I love. To, I love being in shape, you know, um, I love, you know, feeling confident in myself that no matter where I am, I can protect me, my wife and my daughter. Um, I don't think there's anything better than that. And then when you break down like the raw competition of the sport, it's not for everybody, but for the people that it is for, um, you know, it's, there's no other feeling like it. Um, it. It's the best feeling in the world to be able to step in there, um, leave everything you have in the cage and then walk out knowing that you did your absolute best. That's the best feeling in the world. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, we are proud to have on the show. I give you, as I said, the hottest free agent right now on the market. Somebody's going to sign this guy. Bellator, UFC, one of Damn it, somebody just... Give him a contract, pay him what he's worth. We want to see him in the cage. I'm telling you, a lot of fans are saying this here. 
I give you, once again, it is all the way from Long Island, New York. I give you the bull himself. I give you Andre Harrison. Now, Andre, before we let you go, where can the fans check you out at? Where's the Twitter page, Instagram, the website? Where can fans hit you up at? All right, man. So on Facebook and on Twitter, you can find me at Dre the Bull. On Instagram, it's Dre the Bull MMA one four five, and our website is coming soon. It'd probably be DreTheBull.net. Um, go on there. There's merchandise. There's links to the gym, free classes, everything like that. So guys, check me out, man. Dre the Bull on, or otherwise known as Andre Harrison, ladies and gentlemen. We are proud to have him on the show. We come back, though. It's Lucas Brennan. A whole lot more here, only on Last Call. Last Call with the alcohol, only on. It is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. Once again, only on its last call. Last call with the alcohol, only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And I want to thank my two wonderful guests we had. Lucas Brennan on the show. Looking forward to seeing him in action. A lot of people say he's a stud in the making of Bellator. Looking forward to seeing him in action in 2021. Plus, Andre Harrison, very insightful interview. You know what? It's, it's only a matter of when somebody's going to sign him. And hopefully the UFC, 1FC, Bellator picks him up, signs him. As I said, anywhere he goes, he is a addition to the featherweight division, any, any place here. But I'm rambling here a bit. I want to touch upon UFC 257. It's Poirier versus McGregor. It's Dan Hooker versus Michael Chandler. I'll start off with this. The person to me who has the most pressure on them is Michael Chandler. Because for years, he has said, oh, I can beat Habib. I have a game plan. I, I, can, be, I can compete at UFC. I am, you know, that good. And there's always been like, okay, yep, he looks fantastic against certain people, against guys like Gaudi Yamuchi, Sidney Outlaw, uh, Benson Henderson, his last fight, he's looked fantastic. But when he stepped up, when I say step up, when he takes on guys who I would say are in their prime, young, you look at the record and it, it's not that good. I would say... When you put it together, the Eddie Alvarez's, the Will Brooks, you know, Brent Primus, Patricio Pitbull, he's two and five. That's not a great record here. And look, Dan, I, I think he's a very good fighter. But this is going to be a huge step up. He has gotten what he wanted. He wanted a big contract. He got a big contract. He wanted to go to the UFC. He's in the UFC. He's now taking on Dan Hooker, who you look at his record. Hooker, ever since, you can argue, a Jason Knight fight, has been on a tear. This is a guy who beat, Gil, you know, beat Gilbert Burns, who, for those who don't know, Gilbert Burns is fighting Kamara Usman for the welterweight title later on here. Uh, for You know, he's beaten guys who are, you could say, loads better than anybody, but, you know, than Bellator. He's beaten, you know, as I said, Gilbert Burns, Ally Aquenta. Paul Felder. His only, you know, his only losses were to Edison Barboza, 
much more dynamic striker than Michael Chandler. And Dustin Poirier, which a lot of people thought that was a nip-tuck fight, could have gone either way. Now they're fighting here. You also have Chandler, and he's been here. People forget with Chandler, he's been in this sport for a long time. And you always wonder when it's going to take to affect the, you know, the wear and tear. He's 34 years old. And he's been, as I said, he's been fighting in his MMA career all the way back in 2009. We're talking almost 12 years fighting professionally. We're not, that's even, that's not even counting, you know, all the years he did wrestling, all the years in high school, college. Eventually you get old. You get old quickly, and we don't know what will happen, as you said. First couple minutes, I think Chandler's going to come out firing. What happens, though, when he gets clipped? And there will be times. We saw that with the Alvarez fights. We saw that with Primus, you know, Pitbull. He will get hit. That's way, That is his style. He sometimes will get a bit wild. If he loses, you can bet there's a lot of people who are going to go, well, big fish, small pond. You're not that good. You're an average fighter. That's what you always were. He needs to win. He this is a, a must-win fight for Michael Chandler because if he loses this fight, it's going to be much more difficult. Because as we said, Dan Hooker is a good fighter, but there's a lot more you know better fighters at lightweight in the UFC. That you have Charles Oliveira, you have McGregor, you've got Tony Ferguson, you have Dustin Poirier. It's a deep, deep, deep division, and you can all you can always look and just go, "Wow, you know, if if, if this happens here, this is you might he could easily go on a three fight losing streak. That can happen, and as this, it's not anything bad when you're in you know the, the lightweight division of the UFC, and when you have guys like Rafael dos Anjos, when you have Benil Dariush, Paul Felder." Gregor Gillespie, Islam Machaya. Those are all from one through, you know, 15. Those are guys who can you can easily say, yep, they can beat Michael Chandler. It's, give them time. It'll happen. We'll see what happens here. Uh, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier. I want to see what happens where, where Conor's head is at because it's been a crap year for McGregor. He lost, you know, lost badly to Habib Nurmagomedov. It wasn't just he lost badly. He got humi- he got humiliated. He got humbled. And we never know how that affects a fighter. Some fighters can never come back from a fight like that. Others bounce back. You've, he's had the allegations of sexual abuse. There was the, you know, he had the win over Donald Cerrone, but, you know, that was pre, you know, pre-COVID. He hasn't fought since then. This is going to be interesting to see what happens. Poirier has been just on a tear. Lost to Habib Nurmagomedov, okay, but before that, wins over Max Holloway, LD Alvarez, Justin Gaethje, Anthony Pettis, Dan Hooker. He's primed. He is locked. He's ready to go. Uh, he's one of, I think, the few guys who just, He's fought Conor McGregor before. It was a while back. It was, you know, it was almost seven years ago, you can say. So he, I don't think he's going to be one of those guys who's going to be afraid of the moment. He's grown since then. He's become a much better fighter. 
Could Carr still knock him out of first round? Absolutely. That's he has shown that here. Could Dustin Poirier take this to the deep rounds and force Conor McGregor to have to dig deep? That's also a possibility. I think this is going to be a very good fight. I'm picking Conor McGregor and picking Dan Hooker. But I'm telling you right now, both of these fights here, there's going to be a lot of uh, chin-checking. You're going to see both. I think all four fighters are going to be in peril. And there's going to be times where you will see, you know, what is what the medal of these guys are. Is is Michael Chandler, you know, a, just a, another Bellator fighter who was zooming over his head? Is Conor McGregor back, or is there still some things he needs to work out? Is Dustin Poirier ready to take that next step? And is Dan is Dan Hooker somebody that we got to pay attention to and go? He could be a title contender now that the lightweight division is free from Habib, and well, it's looking like basically a free for all. We'll find out here once again. It's going to be Saturday, just January twenty third, all the way to Abu Dhabi on on uh, the UFC pay-per-view. Check it out here. But we're going to wrap this up. So once again, for Andre Harrison, uh, Lucas Brennan, this is Chris Connor saying have a great weekend, everyone. I'm out of here. Stay tuned for more great action next week, only on Last Call. Last Call with the alcohol. It is the Blue Wire Hustle Network. <laughs>